You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. We're delighted today that on Preaching Source, one of my dear friends and one of the Southern Baptist presidents that I've had the pleasure of working with as chief parliamentarian is with us this morning. Dr. Johnny Hunt has been the lead pastor of First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Georgia, since 1986. And uh, he served, uh, I think, 2009 and 10 as president of the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, so we are just delighted to have you here. Johnny, welcome to Preaching Source. Thank you, Dr. McCarty. It is a joy to be with you, my friend. All right. I want to begin with something that you've said that uh, when I, I read it, and, and I've, I've read it and I've heard it, and it, it's made a great impression on me. But I've heard you say uh, time and again, you teach what you know, you reproduce who you are. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, as a pastor and a preacher, what is it that you hope to reproduce in the lives of the people who sit under your teaching each week? I think Philippians 3 is the best answer, and that is Paul uh, really wanted to apprehend in his own life Christ-likeness. And then certainly you want to re- reproduce that in other people's lives. But I think a missing ingredient in preaching, and I say this after being a pastor of 42 years, People will often say, hey, I uh, have followed you for years. I've sat in courses you've taught on preaching. I kind of preach like you, but we're just not seeing it happen in our church. So you preach what you know. You reproduce who you are. Preaching must be married to emulation. So there's exhortation. So I stand week by week. I mean, all the way over here yesterday and over two hours on the plane, I'm writing uh, a message that will be the beginning of a new series. But what's going to really impact our people is not just the authority of Scripture, but the viewing of a life that's been molded or shaped by that gospel. It's real simple, but I tell people it's really the monkey see, monkey do principle. And that is uh, whatever's important to you becomes important to people. So I can get up and teach that we should be a missionary church. But do I actually lead as a missionary? Do I take trips, come back, speak to the people, ask them to go with me? So am I emulating the life that I'm exhorting? Can I say, 1 Corinthians 11.1 with Paul, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. You, You may just say, well, hold on, wait just a moment. Don't ask them to follow you. Just teach them how to follow Christ. Oswald Chambers said that when a person becomes a new believer, they will suck the life out of you until they learn to suck their life from Christ. So we are the Jesus with the skin on, emulating the life that we're exhorting with the Scripture. Mm, Wow. Uh, You recently preached a sermon series called Passion and Purpose. How are those two qualities linked together, especially in preaching? You know, the question is, which comes first? You know, so God gives me a zeal for who he is, and then I study the scriptures, and through knowledge, I under, begin to understand more his will for my life, and then I begin to sense his purpose. And then um, you marry the two. So I find out what God's purpose is for my life, and then with much zeal, I go after it. You know, whether it's the Revelations passage that I'd rather you be hot and which, you know, really it speaks of that zealousness. Uh, Paul in the book of Romans would challenge them to be zealous in their faith. So they were really on fire. So 
basically, when I was not a believer, I had no purpose and direction in life. So Jesus began to make sense out of my life. He began to answer the big questions like, uh, who am I and where did I come from and what am I doing here and where am I going? So when you can answer those, you begin to sense God's purpose in your life. And then that's enough to fire your soul to take with passion to do what God would have you to do. So once I can have clarity that I'm on mission, I know God's purpose for my existing, it, it, it kind of fires my soul to then engage that and challenge others. Someone said, that if you stand to speak on Sunday and you're not excited about what you're presenting, how under heaven can you create in other lives what you don't even possess in your own? Wow. Johnny, I don't know anyone who studies their community more carefully than you do. Uh, I mean, for example, you, you know that there are 111,348 <laughs> households uh, within a seven-mile radius of your campus and that the average age in those households is 37. Uh, you also know that while Woodstock, uh, the First Baptist Woodstock is in the heart of the Bible Belt, that 80% of the people within a seven-mile radius of your church are, uh, are unchurched. So talk, talk a little bit about how, how you study your community and, and, and what those numbers do in terms of how you lead and preach. What, what does that insight into your community do for you as a pastor? You know, by leading a staff through the years, and you want to be able to speak into their life in a way that can bring change. And so I, I share with my staff that we need to think like missionaries and live like missionaries. I mean, you don't have to go to a foreign field uh, to go and study a culture or find out who's here, what tribal people you're working with or their language, whatever. It's true in ours also. So the question is, in a seven-mile radius of our church, who's here? Well, those demographics, are they're available to you. And then the question is, do we learn in order to do? And, and there's a major problem there. A lot of people know a lot, but remember, knowledge puffs up. It's not the truth we know that makes a difference. It's the truth we obey that makes a difference. So I'll talk about that some this morning, Lord willing, in chapel. So what we did is we took one mile to start with. And so what I challenged people to do, and we started it on a Saturday, and we started with a very large group, and I made a, a challenge like this. I want you to give me what may only be 15 minutes on Sunday morning, I mean, Saturday morning. Come out. I'll serve you breakfast. I'll do a brief training. And I gave different levels, uh, Dr. McCarty, whether they would just go to a home and give a packet of material and invite people to come to our church and ask them if there's anything they can pray with them about. We do the four fields at our church, T for T, which we trained overseas. Now we brought it home. And so I've brought a person on to lead our church doing a, a study this Saturday. It's called um, Great Commission Initiative. So in that, we teach our people how to care through prayer. So if I knock on a door and just say, I'm from Woodstock, and only thing I want to know, is there anything I can pray for you about and ask God to meet a need in your life? And that's all I do is just pray. But in my prayer, I will pray, and Lord, do it in such a way that they'll know that you and you alone did this. And then we'll ask them, can we come back in the next week or so? And I tell them I have a story I want to share with them. So, I mean, all I'm saying is that we want to know. We've learned who's there so we can try to do something about it. 
I don't want to just go around and, and give the stats. So by the grace of God, we, we've made it around about a five-mile radius. And so we have a team that goes out every week that actually prayer walks through communities. And we've made a commitment that we will not go into a community until we've prayer walked it. So again, why would we do this in uh, Istanbul and not do it in Woodstock? I mean, what, what makes us think that our people can be one without, you know, praying and uh, planning to see and praying? So there you are. Let me give a side note to uh, the pastors who are listening to, to the podcast. If, if you ever want to understand uh, how to effectively reach your immediate community, then uh, Johnny Hunt and First Woodstock is a, a group that you need to go to school on. And I know that you guys are very generous about sharing uh, what you've learned in, in reaching your community. Uh, but th- these folks really get the job done. All right, you are one of, if not the most passionate preacher I have ever heard. Uh, you can't help but be passionate, but it, are there areas where you think it's wise to temper your passion? Can, can a pastor ever be too passionate? Uh, how, do, how do you manage that? Sometimes you do have to know the culture. I, uh, I, I love to share the story, but I've, I've had the opportunity, and it's a miracle of God, to address Congress. I've um, almost every year go down and speak to the House and the Senate. But they invited me uh, this year, and they invited me on an opening session of the year, which means, by law, everyone must be there. And we had ice. So they called me, and to show you how serious they are, they said, we'll be sending a patrol car with uh, chains. Sir, you must be in that room, everyone that's supposed to be accounted for. And that's the day they swear in, and also the place is packed. And when I went in, everybody's on their iPads, their computers, their phones. And, and here they're introducing to the Baptist preacher, and I knew my work was cut out for me. <laughs> and so really, I mean, I really believed God helped me to be creative in the way I was going to present. And I just got up and I said, gosh, I wonder from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelations, how many identifiable leaders are there? And honestly, I began to watch people close their notebooks. I mean, I've really, I have good eye contact. I mean, I don't preach at the back wall. I preach and look into the eyes of people. And, and before it was over with, I feel like I had the undivided attention of everyone in that room. And I walked through a simple little deal that I'd studied. There's 400 identifiable leaders. Question, how many finished well? Because that's how we'll be remembered. And then I closed, and only had 10 minutes. I closed with, what were the qualities, top five qualities of biblical characters that finished well? And, and then everyone in there wanted a picture made with me. All I'm trying to say is you can. And so at that point, it was more of, um, you know, how I approached them. But I think it got up and said, turn in your Bibles this morning, you know, which I've kind of fired up on Sundays. But I think it is your audience. I mean, that, th- th- there were a few probably genuine uh, Christ followers uh, in the room. Uh, but so, so you, you kind of, kind of pick it there, you know, so. Johnny, folks who know you describe you as, as somebody who has a contagious passion for others. And how, how does a pastor develop that? How does he embody that quality, a contagious passion for others? They say that you cannot lead people you do not love. And secondly, you cannot lead people you do not believe in. Uh, When Jesus saw Simon Peter, he said, you are Simon, translation, wavering one. You shall be Peter, 
you're going to be like a solid, massive rock. Jesus saw people for who they could become, not who they are. We preachers have to be careful that we do not judge our people in first impressions that they are not the type that we're going to be able to develop. They may become our best people. And so when you begin to see God change people that nobody else believed in, it can make you very passionate. Uh, it was the inspiration in my life for others came from William Booth, Salvation Army. And he basically said that when he died, he wanted to be known for one word, others. And so I've adopted that. I told my wife, if I die with testimony intact, if she would so choose to only put one word on my epitaph on my tombstone, it would be others, just that word. And so to do that, though, is, is quite a challenge. You know, we're in a large church, but I've chosen to read every email, by the grace of God, try to return every call, and be personal with people. You could just say, back off and say, I can't get into all these people are too many. Don't expect me to. But you can uh, try to, and, and you can get to know a lot of them. And they really do believe that you're there for others. And so I, I've come up with a lot of principles in my life to really live for others. So uh, Saturday is kind of my day off if in this, um, uh, uh, there's an emergency. But I see a couple that's struggling in their marriage, and they're reaching out to me. And I say to my wife, honey, I know today's kind of a day off and our time together. Do you have anything you're going to do for about an hour and a half this morning? that I can invite this couple to my house. I really believe I can help save their marriage. And she says, yes. I mean, she's in it with me. Uh, she really is. And that, but, but that's just been my love and passion. So we have a city of refuge. They say, you know, to start with James Dobson, 25 years ago when I started, said he didn't know of another of the caliber that we do in the nation. And there may be. He just didn't know it. I didn't know but we do that. I train pastors because I want to help others that do what I do and teach them not to make the same mistakes I made. Mm -hmm. All right. You're, you're a strong preacher, a passionate preacher, and, and you're uh, pretty straightforward when it comes to addressing sin. How, how does a pastor confront uh, in, in a loving way? How do, how do you maintain that, that passion of, uh, for people and against sin, how do you balance that without people feeling put off or, or rebuked in a, in a way that turns them away? You know, I think, uh, w you know, we really do need wisdom to know how to do that. But I, uh, I can just give you an illustration of what I did. Uh, normally, what you would really like to address that's a hot topic in your church, I, I chose to go this way. I said, I'm going to open a website, and anything you want me to address, I want you to email and then I'm going to take the top three for starters. And, and I left it open for like three or four months. So really thousands responded. But the hot issues came to the top. Number one was same-sex marriage and homosexuality. What's the Bible say? Number two was pornography. And number three was, should a Christian drink alcohol? So now when I'm approaching them, I'm, I'm just only there like a professor answering the questions of the students. So it sort of diffused some of the tension in the room. But I'll give you an illustration of something God did in my heart when I was dealing with a homosexual issue. In my research, I realized that the average man lives to be 78. The average homosexual lives to be 45. If he gets AIDS, the average age is 37. I laid my Bible aside and said, all right, forget for a moment the spiritual aspect or the Christian aspect. Let me speak as a moralist. What man in here doesn't care enough about his friend that if he could live to be 78, would watch his friend die at 45, 
because of his choices. I would beg you as a moralist, lay aside that lifestyle. And I'm going to tell you, it diffused a room of tension. And where several of my friends had preached and got death threats, this is a miracle of God. I didn't get a single ugly email. I mean, and I mean, I really just pro-marriage and the, you know, people say Jesus didn't deal with this. Oh my, did he ever. And so I think that's the way you present. It's sort of the thing of hell. You're preaching on hell. Are you preaching with a passion that you're glad they're going there? I mean, Jonah really had an attitude as a prophet and he kind of went in and said, hey, in 40 days, and it was kind of like, hallelujah, it's about time some of you boys burned. And, and God had to really, but God still used it. Someone says God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Well, he had a bad attitude, but God saved him. And then he, he, he mourned that God saved him. So do I preach on hell like I'm glad to go in there? Or do I preach on hell with a tear in my heart that I'm pleading with someone that I'm trying to pluck a brand from the fire? Hmm. John, your most recent book is Demolishing Strongholds, uh, Finding Victory Over Struggles That Hold You Back, and it's a book that's directed at men. What led you to direct that book at men? 25 years now, I've led a men's conference on Super Bowl Sunday weekend at Woodstock. I coined a phrase 25 years ago, men are the untapped reservoir of useful energy for the kingdom of God. If I'm going to see a ministry upon which the sun never sets— I will not do it without the influence of men. When a man comes to Christ, 86% of the time his children follow suit. When a lady comes to Jesus, 17% of the time her children will come to Christ. So thank God for every godly woman. But the bottom line is every godly woman so desires that her husband be a godly man, a leader. So I've been doing these men's conferences, and I just finished mine two weeks ago. I had over 25,000 watching on simulcast from 32 states in America and 6,000 in the room. And that's a local church conference. And so I've been writing three to four lessons a year to men. First lesson I ever wrote was how to have a G-rated mind and an X-rated world. By the way, it's a great title. It was a lousy sermon. <laughs> I, wish the, I wish the sermon was as good as the title. But, uh, but I, I write along those lines, so I just begin to compile all of my writing. And I just have another brand-new book hit the market last week called Unspoken, What Men Won't Talk About and Why. And it's, it's taken off. It's number one men's book in America right now. So... And Demolishing Strongholds stayed number one in men's series just about the entire year. And, but I'm just writing out of experience. And my own challenges, uh, there's no temptation taking us, but such is common to man. Good translation. If you're struggling with it, millions of others are. So um, I really wrote out my own struggles and wrote out of all I deal with as a pastor. As a pastor, how, how, how can you be sensitive to, to God's voice in, in leading you to the text of scriptures that are, are going to be most appropriate and helpful to your people at a given time? How, how, do you, how do you get guidance on that? I wrote a leadership book, and one of my chapters is entitled, If You'll Listen to Your People, They Will Tell You What's Important. And if you listen, you're around pastors, you're around people, you'll start hearing themes over and over again. You'll hear people that have been in the faith a long time saying that their spiritual vitality is an all-time low. So I may say, you know what, I'm going to write um, a series. And I ended up writing eight messages on really how to fan the flame of uh, spiritual vitality. Uh, right now, I'm introducing a ser- sermon series week, and it'll be a short one, probably three messages 
and it's going to be um, identity principles. In, in the Christian faith, what are some identity principles that God uses? And so I'm taking the Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17, let the uh, peace of God rule in your heart. So I'm going to talk about peace from the aspect of the peace with God, the peace of God, and the God of peace. All three of those take a different angle and how that can be yours inwardly and outwardly. God wants peace to rule in my heart, but it also wants me to rule in the family. Uh, since I'm so big on the church and so many are not as they used to be on the local church, I like to remind everybody when I got converted, two things happened simultaneously. I got a new father and a new family. The father is the one that's making it possible for me to go to heaven. The family are the ones that's helping me to go to heaven maturely. So I don't want to ever underestimate what God has done with the body of Christ to develop me. And that would be true of everyone on this campus today. And so uh, I'll deal with that. And then let the Word of God dwell in you richly. I'm going to come back in the second identity, the peace of God, the Word of God. And then it really tells us how everything in our life ought to be related to His name. So I want to define, you know, the name of God. Um, and His favorite name is Father in the Scripture. So He really is a good, good Father. So, so, I did, so I, uh, I'll take it that way. And sometimes, uh, Dr. McCarty, when I'm doing this, I may start thinking it's going to be three, but as I get into it, it may become six. So I just let it, but I try not to rush, but I do try to preach intentionally. I try to think through the message that if God has his way in this message, I think the people could be here when I'm through with this series. I mean, if I preach on biblical stewardship, I'm believing my offerings are going to go up when I finish. So I'm very intentional uh, of what I, I hope to see in my preaching. All right. All right. People who, people who are with you, people who are around you sense a, a great deal of, you, you are a strong man, you, uh, physically, mentally, spiritually. There's a lot of strength that flows from you, but you're also made of flesh and blood. And so how your, your own struggles, how in times when, when you might be discouraged, how, how do you deal with that? How do you work through that? How, how has God spoken to you in those lives when you haven't felt so strong? Right. You know, it, it, there, it talks about my own development. Like, say, for instance, my spiritual development assignment in my heart this year is I, wanna, I want this to be an Acts chapter 6 year. And I, I tell the church this. I want them to learn. And, uh, and I found a way, I think, to say it without it coming across as a boast. So I want to give myself this year to the Word of God and prayer. So the Word of God is God talking to me. And prayer is me talking to God. So I've really pulled away from a lot of devotional reading during my quiet time to give the first hour minimum every day to the Lord and just letting him speak into my heart. So I'm doing a chronological study Bible, uh, reading through the Word of God and praying the Word in as I, I read. And then spending my time with my journal and the things that are in my heart and in developing intimacy with the Lord. Uh, someone says, well, anyone that talks about how to get up early and pray, that's just their way of bragging. No, there's another way to look at it. If you really believe they're genuine, it's their way to show you how desperate they are. So I want young preachers to know that um, Sunday morning, I mean, we're at talking about it. I would say my time was a little over two hours with the Lord. Someone say, oh, you're getting ready for Sunday morning for preaching. No, I was getting my soul ready. I was, I was walking in my mind in prayer 
through the halls and who I was going to run into. And, and I'll tell you how it prepares me. I'm walking into a prayer room to meet deacons uh, between uh, activities on the campus. And somebody says, there you are. I was hoping I'd run into you. I got a bone to pick with you. But because I'm so prayed up and focused, I can say, hey, David, um, brother, I don't pick bones before preaching. I'll see you after the service. He's never approached me. It just went away. But I, he, he could have he could have hindered me. He could have riled me up, and I would have not been uh, filled with the Spirit as I should. I would have leaked. Uh, brother, he didn't fire me. So I really, I really guard my heart for my people and for my Lord, and that comes through prayer. I don't know of any other way to get there. So um, the men, and, and, and then I read. I told someone the other day I, I bought a, a whole stack of Baker book series, like $3 paperback books on D.L. Moody, um, Billy Sunday, um, Charles Spurgeon. And what I'll do is take maybe 20 minutes and read a chapter to inspire me, their life, looking at the things God used them to do. Everybody wants to talk about Spurgeon's theology. I wish more would study Spurgeon's life of the school that he funded it with his own money. And during the... Um, uh, moderate movement in his day. Many he funded turned on him, uh, did a serious number on him mentally and physically. He cared for orphans, so he built schools of orphans, funded them himself. Uh, I read the other day that if in the selling of his sermons and his number one selling uh, of, of, of his sermons was the treasury of David, and but he would put all that money back in and died uh, well below the norm in London of what you would have in an account when a man passes, but he had given the equivalency of tens of millions of dollars today to that. And I think, why are people not raving about his practical service, not just what he knew about theology, but what he did with his theology? And so I feel like we're in a day of um, we want to know more so we can know more. And I want to know more so I can do more. And so to me, I cried when I finished Dalamore's book on Spurgeon because I was so moved by his life that I hated to see it end. And, and by the way, one last word on him. His best friend, preacher friend, hands down, was D.L. Moody. And they couldn't have been further apart in theology, but on Spurgeon's 50th birthday, and they said, all right, we're going to bring in someone to preach for you. Who do you want to come? And here's, his answer was, D.L. Moody or I'll preach myself. When they invited D.L. Moody, his response was, oh, gosh, I wish he had not invited me. I was going to surprise him and be there. He's my favorite preacher in the world. I want to hear him preach. Said it was a debate over who should preach, and Moody, Moody preached his 50th birthday celebration. But I, I wish that we could come together and see it more in how God's using somebody instead of just what they believe. Uh, you are famous for your love for pastors, and you've devoted a great deal of your time and life to mentoring other pastors. Your Timothy Barnabas Conference is just so many men have been blessed by that. As we close this morning, what's if you could speak a word to young pastors, what's uh, one encouragement and one warning? that you would leave, especially a, a young pastor in the ministry? All right. The encouragement would be right out of the Scripture what Paul said to Timothy. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. Uh, Truett Cathy was a precious friend with Chick-fil-A. 
And in one of his books, he wrote that the average man will never be able to lead other men because he's not learned to lead himself. So I must train myself, discipline myself to be a godly man. It's not just going to happen automatically. And uh, everywhere I teach now, when I go in and teach, I teach about how to be a godly man and how to finish well. And I throw that into all the other stuff I'm going to teach. And the reason is um, the guys are not going to be fired or leave ministry because of their eschatology or any other probably of their theology, but it'll normally be something that happens inside. And so we, we need to guard our heart for out of it flows the issues of life. And so that would be kind of an encouragement and warning, um, you know, be warned by that. And um, Jimmy Draper, I wrote the forward. He's going to be here the day, Lord willing. He, I wrote the forward to his last book, Don't Quit Before You Finish. And I bought a thousand copies to give to my Timothy Barnabas guys last year because a lot of guys are going to quit before they finish. And a lot of it's going to be because they have to quit. So guard your heart. So while you're, while you're coming up with a vision for your ministry, begin with a vision for your life. Our guest on Preaching Source today has been Dr. Johnny Hunt, the lead pastor of First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Georgia, and a past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Johnny, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pure joy and my privilege.